Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, December 18th and today we are reading from the big book. We are at page 83, third paragraph. Today's readers are Eddie C., Helena, Marsha, and Paula. And the reference number for Monday, December 17th, is 3514. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sharon to read the 12 steps, please. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever, wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Sharon. I will now ask Kim to read the 12 traditions, please. Thanks, Christy. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversies. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Kim. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We are on page 83 and we are in the third paragraph on that page. I will ask Eddie C. please to begin reading. Good morning, this is Eddie in Virginia, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I'm happy to be here today. There are many wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would right them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay it if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. Uh, good morning again. This is Eddie. Um, and um, when I read this paragraph, I think of a situation in my own life. Um, when my mom passed on, um, we had had some issues, as most mothers and daughters do uh, in, in their lives. But um, we had had a particularly... Um, 
nasty um, issue that happened later in life as, as she got older. And um, there was plenty of wrongs to go, uh, blame to go around on, on both sides. But um, we um, we managed to um, reconcile somewhat, um, you know, before she passed away. But um, after she passed away and I got into program, um, I realized that I had never really acknowledged fully to her, you know, what my part in that whole episode had been. And so um, I wrote a letter and I took it um, to the cemetery where she's uh, buried and I read it at the cemetery. And um, that was the first time I had really acknowledged my part in that awful mess. And um, it did uh, allow me some sense of uh, peace, um, you know, within that I had acknowledged my part. Um, I sort of, you know, still feel like I should have done that while she was still here, but, um, you know, I can't, I can't live in the past. I did what I could do when I realized what I had done. <laughs> and, um, so that, that was something that, um, I felt that I had, you know, made an amends, um, to her, not, you know, while she was alive, but I had acknowledged my part and that, um, you know, somewhere I believe that, you know, that was received. So there are, um, you know, there are other people in my life that perhaps I should, you know, if I don't have any contact with, if I should, you know, should I ever come across them or, you know, have any contact with them, I would certainly be willing to make amends too. Uh, but for now, you know, I try to make my amends as I leave my, as I live my daily life, as to not repeat those behaviors that um, created those situations to begin with, to acknowledge my part in a situation when it arises and, you know, try to do my 10th step when it happens. Uh, because um, it's, I find that the longer I live this life, it's easier to do it then than it is to go back and try to um, do it later on. Um, I, I find it to be just much more freeing if I'm just able to step up to the plate and acknowledge that, you know, I've done something that I need to rectify and to uh, to show the other, the other person involved that, um, you know, that my true um, – feelings and uh, recognize my part in the situation. So um, this this has allowed me to, you know, be free of many of those uh, guilt that pursues me when I know that I've done things that, you know, would not be approved. As uh, Sister Marita used to say when I was in grammar school, if God was in the corner watching you, would you be doing what you're doing? So I have to remember that God indeed is in the corner watching me every moment of my life. And no, I don't need to be doing those things. I need to be doing what I should do to be the person he created me to be. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Eddie. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Helena in New Jersey, may I share? Please go ahead. Okay. I love this paragraph. Um, I think that there is such... um, such understanding that each case is different that and I love the word delay but we don't delay if it can be avoided if there are valid reasons we discuss them with our sponsor we may not be able to see someone but we do not delay delay to me says that I don't want to do this and so I'm dragging my feet we do not delay And then the next sentence is just a beautiful, beautiful description. We are not servile or scraping. We are humble. 
and it tells us exactly how to make our amends. We should be tactful, sensible, considerate, and humble, not servile or scraping. So not full of emotion. What this tells me is what I was told in step four, that we are doing this like an inventory that the businessman makes. We're looking at what is saleable and what isn't. We're looking at what we are keeping and what we're not. We're looking at our part and then in a tactful, sensible, considerate, and humble way, we are going to the people that we have harmed. Pass. Thank you, Elena. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? May I share? This is Patricia. Sure. Yes, um, I like this part right here. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. Um, I like the, the servile is to, without being a slave. And scraping is without is damaging or injuring, without injuring anybody. You know, to scrape something, to run a knife over it and scrape it off the top, and to me, that is like so what we're all about. We're not. I'm not doing this to, to you know. I'm so sorry. You know, um, in being less than them, I'm not trying to be less than them because I made mistakes, and I'm not trying to cut open any old wounds either. You know, that's why it says sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble. You know, I just trying to clean up my side. You know. And with a humble apology, you know, and um, and that's uh, that's all. Thank you. Mm, thank you. And would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Yes, this is Verna in Massachusetts. Ber- is it Verna with a V? Verna V as in Vicky. Got it. Go ahead, Verna. Thank you. I absolutely love this paragraph. Um, the last sentence is the thing that's always grabbed me. Um, there, you know, the whole paragraph is very, for me, very powerful. This, obviously, the whole big book is very powerful, um, but this last sentence is always because that whole thing of, you know, not groveling anymore. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. And oh, that that just fed me. That has fed me over the years. Um, it it means to me that whole image that you know a couple people just shared is we don't grovel before anybody. Um, we hold our heads high. You know we uh, we are people of uh, grace and dignity. Um, you know born with the right to you know as God's creation as I believe, and um, and that we don't have to be hanging our heads before anybody. We don't have to be bowing our heads. We don't have to be putting our tail between our legs. We don't have to be apologizing for our existence um, as so many of us when we're affected by food or uh, addiction or compulsion. You know, we become very, um, I don't know, self-degrading. Well, at least that's my experience. It's what I've seen and observed. And and that we can learn to be healthy people. And uh, and so, as God's people, we take stock of what we've done and what we haven't done. We acknowledge our wrongs and we right them. And um, and we can stand on our two feet and look people in the eyes and uh, without bowing our heads. And 
And so I don't need to be a walking apology, which is what I was. I was a walking apology before no matter what happened, I'm sorry. No matter what happened, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that this happened. I'm sorry that that happened. I'm sorry I did this. You know, the whole walking apology thing. Um, no, I don't have to do that anymore. I just have to take stock of my behaviors, correct them where I'm able to um, make amends for um, wrongs that I've done, and um, take ownership of my life, and um, and just realize where I need to grow and the strengths that I do have. But just that whole picture, like I said, just to not grovel anymore, and to not have to bend over backwards anymore to just learn to be a person that has a right to breathe and a right to exist and uh, and a right to live. So with that, I'll pass off. So thank you. Thank you, Verna. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? My name is Susan. Yeah. Uh, Susan, go ahead, and then we'll catch the other people when you're done. Go ahead, Susan. Appreciate it. Good morning. Um, what I appreciate in this paragraph is that um, the words they're using, sensible, tactful, considerate, humble, servile, or scraping, um, those are not things that would have been possible for me had I not gotten to this midpoint of step nine. Um, before those were always, um, at least in my illusion, those were um, manipulative techniques. You know, I, I don't think I was an... Uh, uh, I don't think I was really considerate, but I would try to act considerate to get my way. And um, I also um, have been self-righteous as, as a child of God, which is it's not the proper position uh, for me to be able to be able to stand in God's presence. And so much like the paragraph we're going to read next, um, this promise could not be possible had I not done um, the first eight, and a half, you know, eight steps plus being in the middle of nine. Um, um, I also, um, you know, was a groveler and a, and uh, and I'm sorry and and to, you know by the time I get to this point, I can actually be, um, I can actually be the uh, enact the thing. Uh, well, be the things that. Um, are described here that allow the amends to be um, um, honest and to be real. And um, so I appreciate this meeting this morning, and I'm grateful to be here. I pass. Thank you, Susan. And who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I'm basically just going to reinforce what Susan just said. You know, where are we now? We're in this ninth step. So how are we able to be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble? Because of all the work that we've done. You know, we've done step four. We've gone through those four columns, specifically the fourth one, to see where our part was. And we didn't leave ourselves in that solitary self-appraisal. We went to a recovered compulsive overeater, and we told them our whole story. And we got feedback. And we heard, the, we heard ourselves speak and we heard from that recovered person those patterns in our life. Now, the, the reasons that we stepped on the toes of our fellows and they retaliated. And we've gone through six and seven where we saw that it was our character defect, that we were the architect of our own misery. And then we humbly made that list because we didn't want to carry these resentments around anymore. So as we're finishing up step nine, we're beginning to get those benefits of all the work that we have done in one through eight. That is the reason we can be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble. 
So I just want to give us a quick reminder. Before we started these four, this fourth step, where was our life? On page 60, it's telling us, why are we making this decision to go through these steps? It says the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody. Even though our motives are good, most people live, try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, and the scenery, and the rest of the players on his own. Now, isn't that a complete description of who we are before we embark on these action steps? And after we embark on these action steps, and after we are plowing our way through these nine steps, we come to the point where we should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble, without being servile or scraping. And what a miracle that is. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I just wanted to share a little bit on this um, paragraph. Um, you know, as others have said, it, it was, for me, it, took, it was a lot of work to get to this point. You know, and worth, worth every minute, worth every minute spent getting me to this point. You know, I didn't understand, you know, when I did my first, you know, first set of amends, um, you know, I didn't necessarily understand the kind of freedom that I would have. I, I didn't understand that. But it, for me, I had to experience it. I had to experience this. I had to experience putting the food down. I had to experience even believing that there was something, you know, a power greater than myself. I had to experience that I could turn my life and my will over to that power. I had to experience writing down what was really wrong with me. What was really wrong with me that I did, you know, I would say, you know, for you, years I said I don't know how to eat I don't know how to eat right I knew how to eat I knew how to eat trust me I knew how to eat you know that was not my you know, that was not my problem that was not my problem food was not my problem food was my solution food was my solution to my inability to know how to live life and only through working step six and seven did I come to that realization and then steps eight and nine, you know, you know, let me write down the damage I've done. Let me write down the damage I've done. And let me clean up my side of the street. You, you know, you're fine over there on your side of the street, but I want my side of the street to look neat and tidy. And why do I want that? Because I don't want to go back to the food. I don't want to go back to living in a way that food is the only answer for me. I want other options. I want other options. And that's what recovery has given me, the ability to not turn to food to solve my problems. Flat tire, I'm going to eat over it. I'm not going to try to change the tire. I'm going to eat over it. And so food has given me the ability to, you know, talk to other people who are recovered and, and ask them how I should be behaving sometimes. That's what that means to me. Um, you know, I am a person of extremes. And, you know, this last, second to the last sentence here, sensible, tactful, and considerate, I had no concept of what that was like. I had no concept of actually living like that. And um, servile or scraping, you know, I'm one extreme or the other. I'm one extreme or the other. And what recovery has done for me is taught me to live 
you know, in, in the middle, in moderation. And, you know, again, this isn't something I jumped into, you know, a week after I had put the food down. You know, I spent years in the rooms of OA, you know, eating and talking in theory about the steps. I was eating. I hadn't even worked step one. I had a lot of fat serenity, which is an oxymoron, by the way. There was no serenity. Um, not for me, anyways. Not until I put the food, truly put the food down and then started working these steps like my life depended on it. And as it says in the, in the previous paragraph, the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. And this is part of living it and taking action. Even if the action is writing out a letter and reading it aloud to another person um, and not necessarily the person that uh, the letter is written to. But taking that action is what, <laughs> taking all of this action is what has set me free. And, you know, I have a freedom today that, you know, they were, those words were empty when people said, Christy, you can be free today. Those were empty words to me until I experienced it myself. And I will tell you, it is possible. It is possible to be free today. And today, not only am I free from the food, from wanting food, you know, I, I don't have a desire to sit in a closet somewhere and eat, you know, holiday food. I mean, I am free today of all of that, all of those thoughts. And I'm so grateful for that. Oh, I am so grateful for that. And with that, I will pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph? Good morning. This is Lois. Could I share? Sure, Lois. Go ahead. I just wanted to add a quick um, thought that um, when when I was doing my amends, my parents had been dead a long time, and a couple of my siblings too. They died very young, um, and um, and what I what I was able to do when I realized it, and um, I was willing to go to any lengths if I could. But what what, what seemed right for me was as I do and did my morning meditation and prayer, I would bring up their, my mother's, like my mother's face or my father's face, and, and I would uh, talk to them, and I would tell them, you know, that um, I, I, was, I wished that I could have been different. I wished I could have done this for them, and I was sorry that I was not able to, to be the, the daughter or the, or, the, or the brother or the sister that I could have been, and, um, and, and I felt really good about that because it came from the heart, and, and I, was, I would have done that if I could. So I know the, the goal of these steps is to change me, you know, to change my behavior, to take responsibility for my actions, and to um, heal relationships if, if possible. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Good morning. This is Gail, Massachusetts. Go ahead, Gail. Um, I'm new to this meeting, and amazing synchronicity, I think, has happened because for many months I've been planning an amends um, with a particular person, and um, I did make those attempts over the past few weeks. And last week there was the silence of not getting a response as I reached out to try to meet this person from many, many years ago. And I was on the telephone with a... Um, program person who just told me about this meeting. I didn't know about this meeting. This was the first this week is the first, yesterday was the first day I was on your meeting. 
And as I, we opened up, as you know, we um, we read this paragraph. There there may be some wrongs we can never fully write, and we're reading it today. And this is exactly where, where I was yesterday morning when this was read. Um, I was in turmoil that I hadn't done it good enough. I didn't do my amends good enough. I wasn't at peace. I had planned for months and months and months. I had planned that I was going to, what words I was going to say to this person, that it was going to happen, and then I was going to be free. But I was, it wasn't getting that satisfaction. And what was I going to do? There may be some wrongs we can never fully write, it says here. Um, that's exactly where I was. So I had a planned uh, call with my sponsor. And um, what came out of that was the unmailed letter. That there, and, and I actually wrote the unmailed letter. I wrote the letter. I read it to my sponsor. And um, what was amazing, and then also we talked about how, I, how I, the obsession I was having with my part of this, that I didn't do it good enough, and maybe I should take one more step, and maybe I should do this and this and this. And then I said, you know, I think that's going too far. And she's like, yep, that's going too far. And I think it's just really what a life experience to know what it means to be tactful and considerate and humble, as it says here too, you know, like walking up to the person's door 20 years later and ringing the bell isn't exactly what, you know, pushing ourselves into their lives isn't exactly what we're, what we're supposed to be doing or, or isn't the healing part of this, this step. But what I realized is when I sincerely did my best steps to reach out to this person and then there was silence, then my place of writing the unreal letter, um, I did it yesterday, read it, and when I got that assurance that I had done it well and done it right for my sponsor, I am at peace. So it's like I'm living what we're talking about here, um, that it is an amazing thing that we can be at peace even though it's an unmailed letter. Um, it's that peace inside me and knowing that I can let this other person be at peace too, that I don't have to be, go on and on and on until I get what I want. You know, it's that I get what I want piece that was coming up for me and isn't that part of the illness too? You know, that I want to be in, I want to reach the person live. I want to speak to them live. It isn't always about my getting what I want. What a life lesson this has been. Um, so thank you for this meeting. Um, I'm planning on being in it more, and uh, appreciate it a lot. Thanks. Thank you, Gail. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move to the next one? Could I share? Leah. Sure. What is your name? This is Patricia. Go ahead, Leah. Yeah, Patricia, go ahead. Yes, I just wanted to point out um, this right here. They, there may be wrongs um, that we will never fully write. We don't worry about them. That don't worry part for me, because um, I have a tendency on beating myself up and to not to worry about something that I can't control is very powerful, because that's like a com kind of instruction right there. Don't worry. You know, that's an instruction, you know. Anyways, I just wanted to point that out. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. And I thought I heard someone else. Actually, it was Leah. Leah, go ahead. Hey, Christy, good morning. Good morning, everybody. My name's Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It says, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. Why can't I delay with <laughs> delay this? Well, if I don't deal with the disease, it will deal with me. You know, the big book teaches me that uh, delay will be dangerous and rebellion will be fatal. So, uh, you know, remind, reminding myself uh, who and what I am. You know, I'm a real compulsive overeater. And if I'm a real compulsive overeater, well, 
and I want the freedom that this big book offers, then I need to do what, how, whatever it is that they guide me to do. So it says we don't delay if it can be avoided. It says, you know, as God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. This was so important for me to remember. I wanted to be free. I wanted, um, you know, to be brought to a place of oneness of God where those barriers uh, those things that had obscured God, um, because I, you know, the big book taught me that God was deep down within me, but I had obscured it. I had obscured it by worship of other things. I had obscured it by, um, you know, uh, just pomp and 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 you know these behaviors that emanated out of self-will run riot. Well, I had put these barriers between God and myself. So as God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone in making these amends. I just, you know, tried to keep in mind that this was a dignified process, that the big book was taking me on a spiritual journey that consisted of getting rid of things. And because those barriers were going to be stripped away, like admitting my wrongs and taking responsibility for the consequences of my actions, that deep down inside I had to believe that this beautiful spiritual person existed within me and that it would be revealed through the stripping away of this self-will run riot. You know, because the quality of my consciousness was going to determine my future and if there was anything that was going to block me from the light and the uh, mercy of God I needed to break down that barrier because the beauty of this whole thing was that on the one side I had the experience of almost two decades of mayhem and suffering and misery caught in this uh, the chains of this addiction and on the other side i had living proof of people who had recovered people who had taken these steps people who had made difficult amends and people who had recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and that's what i wanted that is what i wanted i did not want to be controlled by my desires i did not want to bow to the demands of my disease any longer i did not want this illness making decisions for me i had no freedom in that life i always had to pay the piper i was a slave i wanted a new master how how could i serve that new master well by following these very clear-cut instructions and with that i pass thanks thank you leah we're going to move to the next paragraph. Uh, Helena, would you please begin reading? Hi, this is Helena. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. 
I would like to share briefly on this absolutely beautiful um, paragraph. I heard this over and over and over in the rooms of OA, and I was often frustrated because it did not seem that these promises were coming true in my life. And of course, it has been ex uh, pointed out already in this meeting that we must be already working on step nine. Um, halfway through, you know, we're going to be amazed once we start doing it in a painstaking way. And painstaking, when I look it up, marked by diligent care and effort. But I also love that that word pain is in there. I'm willing to go to any length, whether it is painful or not. And as has also been pointed out earlier in this meeting, the root of our trouble is selfishness. Um, as it says on page 62, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our trouble. And when we start step four, it is what we are looking for is the forms of selfishness. As it says in step four, we were convinced that self was what our trouble was. And here is an absolutely beautiful picture of what life is like when we are not self-centered, when we are free from self. And instead of being self-centered, we are God-centered. Pass. Thank you, Helena. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. Is it possible to share twice in one meeting? Of course. Go ahead. Who is this? Okay. This is Verna. Verna. Thank you so much. Go ahead, Verna. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, too, hear this. Um, these are called the nine-step promises, as I'm sure many people know that. Um, and these are read at our meetings every um, at every meeting in our area at the end of the meeting. Um, and I just love it because it just has invaded every fiber of my body over the years. I've been coming to OA for 23 years. Um, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed. And the new freedom, the new happiness, we won't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. That sentence is so powerful for me because um, I've made some very, very... Um, deeply freeing amends. Uh, I've, I love, I think the favorite part of working the steps for me has been the eighth and ninth step, well, literally the ninth step. Um, and I've done several of them over the years, and tough ones as well as just, you know, regular ones that just need to get taken care of. And, um, and the freedom and the fact that I don't have to regret nor wish to shut the door on the past has been such um, a gift because what is happening now as a result, I, I, someone told me yesterday that you're, you're, <laughs> uh, that this person heard it from someone else, that your misery will become your ministry, um, which is, I, you know, different terminology perhaps than program stuff. But um, I, I just thought that's exactly, bingo, what's happening. All the things that have ever happened to me, the things that I have done um, or have been done to me or that have happened circumstantially in whatever way, um, are things that I don't have to regret. I don't have to wish to shut the door on them anymore because it, they're being used. My experience is being used to help others, and I am absolutely humbled by that, completely, totally humbled by that. It's, you know, the 11-step prayer where it says that, you know, we will <clears throat> be an instrument, let me be an instrument of peace. 
and, and that's what's happening. So as a result of the ninth step, I am finding that I don't have to regret anything that I've done or that has been done to me or that has happened to me or around me or in my life, um, but rather I can learn from each thing, use it for good and move forward. And the freedom to be able to accomplish that comes through working these steps, but being really sincere and genuine and thorough with the eighth and ninth step, which I've always done. I've gone through several sets of doing the the steps in the, the what's called the AWOL system up in this area. That's what everybody used to do. Now it's the big book step study process. But um, I am just so grateful for these steps, this way of life. And uh, and then it says we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. And I do have that. I have people actually saying that. Vernon, we see, you know, like uh, several people said to me recently, there's just so much peace in you. Uh, our whole outlook on life will change. God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so I just love the spiritual essence and presence, and I love doing the steps. And uh, the eighth and ninth step for me have been pivotal. I can actually share several individual stories on that and just love the freedom that comes from it. And and then the ability to be able to use these experiences uh, to help others walk along the path as well. And uh, what a gift. So thank you. Thank you, Verna. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning again, everyone. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. You know, we read these promises at the end of almost all the meetings that I go to face-to-face, and these promises tortured me for years in a way because they were called the promises. I had no idea they were about the ninth step. I had no idea... It was about that I would experience these promises after I did the steps. I thought it had to do with abstinence. Okay, I'm abstinent for 30 days. Why aren't I feeling those promises? Now I'm abstinent for 60 days. Why aren't I feeling these promises? I'm abstinent for six months. I'm still not feeling them. I was abstinent for six years, and I still wasn't feeling them. Because I had no idea that these promises had anything to do with the steps. You know, I thought to myself, well, if I can just stay thin, I'm going to feel these promises. If I can just fit in my jeans, I can feel these promises. But that's not what this is about. If we want to experience a new freedom and a new happiness, it comes from the steps. And what are those steps? The steps are helping us clear away those blockages to God because that's why I don't feel free. That's why I don't feel joy. That's why I don't feel peaceful. Because I have used food as my higher power. Food was my solution to everything. And when that solution was taken away and I became abstinent, I became restless, I became irritable, and I became discontent. Because there was nothing to substitute for it. And when I started to walk through these pages, I realized if I wanted to feel these promises, I was going to have to change. I was going to have to throw away old ideas. I'm just going to read from page 27 because this is where Dr. Young tells Roland that once in a while people do overcome this disease. People do recover. It says, you know, he's asking what he's told that, that in most cases, almost all cases, people do not recover from, from alcoholism. We do not recover from compulsive overeating. And Roland asks, is there no exception? And the doctor says, yes, there is. Exceptions to such cases as you are the since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have what we are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena 
They appear in the nature of huge emotional displacements and arrangements, ideas and emotions and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives have begun to dominate them. So that's what has happened. It's in working these steps, in doing these action steps, we have had that huge emotional displacement. We have cast aside these guiding forces of our lives which has once dominated us and now a completely new set of conception and motives are beginning to dominate us now. And that's why we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness because we have been transformed. We have had that psychic change sufficient to bring about recovery and we are now going to bear the fruits of all this hard work that we have done. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. This is Paula, may I share? Of course, Paula, go ahead. Thank you. You know, the whole paragraph is just, um, what word isn't just absolutely serenity, peace, all, all these things that are in here. But I'm going to scoot down to that word, self-seeking will slip away. Just the word slip. All of a sudden you notice, wait, I'm not walking with that anymore. And then it says, our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Now that word, our whole attitude... Nothing missing here. How you see, how you hear, how you speak. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. But this part, fear of people and of economic security, economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Hmm. Is that not what it says in 567? when we read about the spiritual experience taking place. And they say here very clearly, he finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life. And that part we go back and it says, we suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. They're the transformation. We're not doing it at this point, anymore by ourselves because we couldn't. All the effort in the world, all the plans, all the thoughts, all the deeds, we couldn't put it together because we were putting it together by ourselves only with God's touch here on heart and mind could it then be put together. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Paula. Well, I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, I had the um, opportunity yesterday to talk to someone who's been trudging this road with me um, since September 9th of 2001 when, you know, I darkened the doors of an OA meeting at 300 pounds and, you know, sat in the you know, sat in the chair and just hoped through that whole meeting that the chair wouldn't break, that the chair wouldn't give way, you know, to my weight. And um, I thought, oh, well, if I break the chair, I'm in the right place. (laughs) 
you know, and, uh, you know, I had tombstones in my eyes and I was wearing a, you know, size 3X pair of shorts and, you know, with the drawstring that I couldn't even tie, uh, you know, it was all stretched out to the very end of the knots at the end of the drawstring and, you know, it was miserable. I was absolutely miserable and I was miserable not only in my body, but I was especially miserable in my mind. I was especially miserable in my mind. I couldn't take one more minute of the way I'd been living my life. And uh, anything had to be better than what I'd been doing. And, um, you know, I was able to share with her some things that had happened in my day, you know, incredible things that had happened in my day. And she said, man, I knew you back when. I knew you back when. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful for the transformation that the big book has brought to my life. You know, and it and it hasn't come. Christy, press star one to unmute. So I, um, you know, I just have to say that I have just been so. Um, you know, my, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful. And it's not just, you know, I mean, the transformation has happened um, certainly in my body because I put the food down and I'm now at a maintenance weight and I've been maintaining my weight for nine and a half years. And, um, and mo most important, the transformation has happened in my mind. The transformation has happened in my mind. I'm a completely different person. I'm a completely different person. I have light in my eyes today. I have light in my eyes today. I have been reborn in every thought and action that I have. And, you know, I mean, you know, I'm grateful that I was able to share what a wonderful day I had had in the same way I can share, you know, those difficult days. I can share those difficult days because I'm going to have both in recovery. And, um, just so, so grateful for what, uh, what, you know, for the life that I have today because I did not have a life. It was miserable and horrible and, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, I, yeah, it was just, it was horrible. I can't even put it into words. It was just a, a you know, it was a miserable existence. And, you know, I just want to say to people out there who don't know whether it's possible for them you know, making this big book come to life in my life has completely changed my life. And with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on this paragraph? This is Leah. This is Janice. Um, Leah, go ahead. Thank you so and much. And then Janice. Sure. Thank you. Obviously, a power-packed uh, paragraph. I'll just pull out a few statements here. It says, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. You know, I often say freedom isn't free. You know, freedom is not free, whether we're discussing, you know, the freedom of our nation or whether we're talking about my personal freedom from this <laughs> deadly, devastating disease. Freedom isn't free. You know, when, when the men and women who pen these pages out of their collective experience, uh, it, it, these promises were based on things that they had done. It was based on actions that they had taken. Um, you know, uh, so it says here, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Uh, today, because of these actions, you know, uh, I try to utilize that, that pain of my past 
as the greatest possession that I have. I mean, I don't know about you, but I never wanted to be a compulsive overeater, that's for sure. I mean, this may surprise you, but my life goal was not to be here today speaking to you. I had other thoughts and dreams for myself, but lo and behold, here I am. Um, So I utilize that pain. Further down in the paragraph, it says our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Um, You know, I came here, I was pummeled by this disease. My eyes were swollen shut. My lips were bloodied. Uh, You know, the disease kept throwing punches. I came here restless. I came here irritable. I came here discontent. I came here full of fear. It was a corroding thread through every facet of my life. I was filled with shame and guilt and remorse. And you guys handed me a big book with a program of action, and I applied those first nine steps as it was directed into my life to the best of my ability and you know what happened you know what happened I walked through that arch of freedom I walked through that arch of freedom and I went from that condition of my mind that I just described to the condition described here in these promises and that's called a whole attitude and outlook a change a transformation I went from that condition of my mind to the condition described here in these statements in these promises and surely surely that's a radical change in personality That is a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. It says here, this last statement, we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for for ourselves. Something came between me and compulsive overeating more than 25 years ago. The problem was I was powerless, and I was tired of living an unmanageable life. And the program of recovery was a recovery process that promised me that my sanity would return, that my problem with compulsive overeating would be removed, that I would be given a power that I could properly use, that I would be given a sixth sense beyond the five that I had been used to being dominated by, and that I'd be given grace to maintain a fit spiritual condition. I would be given the ability to have those changes within myself and within my attitude so that it was no longer necessary for me to look for some substance in a cellophane bag and a bakery box to make me feel comfortable on this planet. Those are the promises coming true. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And then, Janice, you can go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. And the the sentence that really jumped out at me today is, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. You know that, I don't know about you, but when I came in, I had to admit complete defeat. I had to admit complete defeat that I could not do this by myself, and I had been trying for ever so long. But, you know, there was a part of me in those first early days of admitting complete defeat that, oh, wanted it to be pain-free. Aren't I in the right place now? Aren't I putting down the food? Can't this pain be lifted from me? But once again, we're reminded that we have to be painstaking about the whole process, about the whole process, but that when we are, This is what happens. This is what happens. You know, we talk about the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. And which one am I going to choose? 
Well, it says here I don't have to, I will no longer have to regret the past, but I won't have to shut the door on it. Just because I've done my ninth step amends to the best of my ability, it doesn't mean I will shut the door on my past. I want to keep that memory green, as a matter of fact. I don't ever want to forget what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. Because when I do that, when I do that, then I keep on working these steps as if my life depends on it. And when I need the discipline of this spiritual experience, there might be a little pain, but pain is the admission to this world of beautiful spiritual experience because that pain lets me know that something's amiss, that something's amiss, something needs to be dealt with. So, you know, we don't regret the past anymore but we use that past. Hopefully, I use that past to help other people. And I stay right here, right now, in this day only. Be here now, in this day only. Because this is where the promises live, in this day only. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. And thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Marsha, will you please read A Vision for You? Certainly. This is Marsha, compulsive overeater, recovered today. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we only know a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.